All right, let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, I pray for uh, all those who are suffering from uh, this dreaded pandemic. God, we pray for uh, healing. We pray for deliverance. Lord, we pray for your strength and your help. God, we pray that you would just be very present um, in each and every circumstance. God, as we look in your word now, we pray for wisdom and guidance that you would use this time for your purposes to further your kingdom. And we praise you and thank you for all you've done, for all you are. In Christ's name, amen. As I considered what to share in the midst of uh, this difficulty, in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of so many things that are going on and seem to be going wrong, uh, my mind was naturally led to the book of Job. And we're going to be looking this morning at Job chapter 1, verses 13 through 22. And the reason we're looking here is because I think it's important that we understand uh, how important a right view of God is when you're dealing with circumstances and situations like this. Um, I've seen over the last uh, couple of weeks things posted on Facebook and uh, in other chat rooms and so forth that are frankly as a pastor and as a theologian, frightening in terms of people's view of God and what they have to say about uh, the situation and what's going on. People speaking for God when God himself has not clearly spoken uh, on this issue. And uh, so I think it's important for us to, to deal with the issue of, of God and how we deal with blessing and with pain. Um, we open up in verse 13, and what has happened at this point is that God and Satan have entered into this discussion, into this debate about the, uh, the worship, the, the, the life, the commitment of Job toward God, and how uh, Job, uh, for what reason Job is following God, for what reason Job is serving God. And, and it's important for us to understand as we enter into the narrative itself of how it impacts Job and how Job responds, it's important for us to understand that Job doesn't know anything of this discussion. He doesn't know anything of this conversation. He doesn't know what's going on. He has no viewpoint, no perspective into the spiritual realm that is guiding his life at this particular moment. And so as we look at his response, as we look at what he has to say to this circumstance, I think we can see a lot of ourselves because we don't often know what's going on behind the scenes and what's taking place in such situations when things like a pandemic break out. But let's look at it. Satan has been given permission to move against Job and move against Job he does. Picking up in verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabians swooped down and took them away. They struck down the, serpent, the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking. When yet another came and reported, the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, 
and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, when another messenger came and reported, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Wow. In just the course of just a few minutes, everything that Job had held to, everything that Job had owned, everything that Job had possessed, everything that Job loved was taken away from him. The passage just piles on the tragedy. While one is still speaking, another approaches to report another tragedy that has befallen him. And for Job here, there's no indication, no clear sign that this is the hand of God or Satan or anybody else. This could all just be natural occurrences from his perspective, from, from where he's standing. This could all just be something that, that just happened. And we know from the text, we know, although Job doesn't know, we know that this is not judgment. This is not God's judgment on Job. God has identified Job as a righteous person, as a person who is upstanding, who is blameless in his ways, is how God describes Job. And so we know that this is not a, a, an act of judgment. So how do we deal with this? How do we bring together the facts of the goodness of an all-powerful God and the presence of evil? How do we deal with these things? What would you say to Job if he were standing before you asking, how to understand such a situation. What do you say to your friends who are facing similar situations, hardships, difficulties, fears? Now you see, this is only a problem for a believer in a, a singular sovereign God. Nobody else has this struggle. Nobody else deals with this issue. If you're a polytheistic, then... This is just a, a matter of God's battling in the spiritual realm. If you're a dualist, this is evil fighting good. If you're an atheist or a naturalist, it just happens. Natural order of things. If you're a fatalist, it doesn't really matter. It's all bad. If you're agnostic, you're not sure. You don't care. It's only a problem for the believer in the Creator who is both all good and all powerful. <coughs> so how do we answer? How do we respond? Well, there are at least four different responses that have traditionally taken place in, in Christian and Jewish circles uh, that believe in a, a, a all-powerful and all-good God. Some have gone the route of removing the question. That is, they've, they've argued or they've taken the approach that, that somehow it's appropriate to lessen God, either in His goodness or in His power. That is, that perhaps God doesn't know everything, or God can't do everything, or God self-restricts Himself in responding to these things. Maybe He has the power, but He chooses to restrain Himself in responding to such situations, and therefore He's not necessarily all good. Others have gone the route of blaming humanity. That to be free, to, to have free will, evil must by nature, then exist. And that such events are the response to sin, either direct sin, uh, that is that God is responding to sin itself, or 
indirect sin, that, that, that sin has invaded our culture, has invaded creation, and therefore, as a result of that, things happen. It's not necessarily direct judgment. It's, it's more of an indirect working out of God's response to sin. Third, people sometimes try and improve the diagnosis. That is that there's a purpose in this. That there's a, a, a growth that God is trying to enact. That God is trying to bring growth. God is trying to bring direction. God is trying to bring purpose. Or they simply say God is in control and has a purpose and it will get better. I've seen an awful lot of that over the last several weeks. It will get better. It has to get better. But it doesn't always get better, does it? And then others just determine the question to be unanswerable. That that's just the way it is. And truth be told, there does come a limit to where our questions can go and what they can accomplish. All of these expressions have found some sort of uh, ex uh, communication in Christian thought over the years. All of them are things that we probably bounce from one answer to another in our own lives and in our own experience. But how does Job respond? What is Job's take on this situation? Verse 20, Then Job stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all of this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. What we see here is a response of a person who's in relationship with God. And I think if we're ever going to find a way through these sorts of situations, through these sorts of circumstances that we're facing right now. We need to begin with the notion, with the idea, with the reality that theology and relationship must go hand in hand. How we view God, how we believe, who we believe God to be is tied to our relationship to Him. We see Job here relate to God appropriately. You see, for Job, there's, there's no question who is responsible. God gives, God takes away. He leaves behind the philosophical inquiry. And, and I'm not saying that th such questions and such debates and such philosophical inspections are wrong. I'm only saying that no single answer is totally right. There's no single response to how God interacts with life and how God interacts with circumstances that suffices to answer the things that we face. And sometimes a misapplied answer can be totally wrong, as you see with Job's friends later on in the book. All of them had a theology that was somewhat correct, but it was misapplied to Job's situation, and so therefore it itself was wrong. In the face of suffering, theological discussions always take a back seat to relationship. Always. 
And because Job is in relationship with God, he not only relates to God appropriately, he thinks about God correctly. His relationship is based upon his knowledge of God. You see in his response here, there's a combination of of real sorrow, real grief, and real worship. Job stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. We need to be all right with both the grief and the worship. Too often, Christians don't allow others, don't allow ourselves to, to really grieve, to really express sorrow. We think it's somehow sinful to express such emotions. But that's not a biblical view of sorrow, of grief. Paul, later on in his letter, he says, we grieve, we do express sorrow, but we do it differently than those who are without hope. Both must be present. Job starts with the expression, naked I came. This is this is real sorrow. It's real acknowledgement that all that we have, all that we have gained, all that we have collected, all that has been a part of our lives is from God. He's holding on to things. He expresses a sorrow about the things, but not too tightly. For Job, for us, our focus on blessing of what you had must be present instead of what you no longer have. C.S. Lewis said, to enjoy the now, there had to have been a then. To enjoy what we have, we have to see what God has indeed done in the past. We need to focus upon the blessing, not on the loss. As we grow and as we learn and as we grieve. He continues, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. He recognizes God's position and absolute rights. God is God only when he is free from a man-made image. God is God only when he can be whoever he deems appropriate to be. Any lessening of that removes him from the status, from the title, from the position of God. And so we must acknowledge, we must recognize his position, his absolute right to do whatever it is that he's going to do. And from that grows worship. Blessed be the name. May God be blessed in what he has done here. May God be praised. May God be honored. When it comes to evil, focus should not be on abstract questions we'll never come to a complete answer on, but instead looking at what God has done, is doing, and will do about evil. God has responded to evil. God has responded to our situation. God has responded to our circumstance. The Father's work is moving life from chaos to order. It it has a purpose. It has a direction. It has an end goal. The Son's work, He died on the cross to respond 
to evil. The Spirit's work. He continues to comfort. He continues to heal. He continues to direct. All of these things express a God that is in conversation with, that is at work with our lives and in our lives, dealing with the evil that we confront. We can rely on that. We can have confidence in the future, not in some abstract concept, not in some abstract idea, but in the reality that we are walking with a God who is with us, who is for us, and who is guiding us to His good purpose. Not necessarily to our good purpose, to to our end, the way we would like it to work out, but to His greater good purpose. One of the most poignant pictures of this growth and of this learning and of this dealing with pain, I believe, lies, resides in the life of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote two books on the issue of suffering in his life. A Grief Observed and The Problem of Pain. And there's 20 years in between those. The Problem of Pain is the first book that he wrote. And it's at the stage in his life where he really had not interacted with, had not engaged with any sort of sorrow, any grief, any hardship. And so in the problem of pain, the answers are are very clear-cut. The answers are very clearly drawn of how we might respond to pain and and what pain means and, and how it functions. But 20 years later, in dealing with the death of Joy Gresham, his wife, and the sorrow and the grief that that she dealt with and and all that she had gone through and his journey with her, as he writes a grief observed, you you find a, a different tone. He writes in one place, talk to me about the truth of religion and I'll listen gladly. Talk to me about the duty of religion and I'll listen submissively. But don't come talking to me about the consolations of religion or I shall suspect that you don't understand. Too often we offer just the simple answers, the glib answers, the, well, this is just God's will answers, or things like that. And we end up doing more damage than good because, again, theology and response to such situations can only come out of relationship. They can't come out of philosophy. Lewis goes on to observe this later in the grief observe. He says, My jotting shows something of the process of a restored relationship with God, but not so much as I had hoped. Perhaps both changes were really not observable. There was no sudden striking and emotional transition, like the warming of a room or the coming of a daylight. When you first notice them, they have already been going on for some time. It takes time to heal. It takes time to deal with the circumstance. And as we take this journey of dealing with this present circumstance, with this present situation, we need to recognize, as Job recognizes, that this is the beginning of the journey. This is the beginning of a discovery of who God is. This is the beginning of discovery of what God can do. This is a relationship worth fighting for. This is a relationship that can make a difference. And it's in that truth, it's in that knowledge, it's in that understanding that we begin our journey of 
seeing what God's doing. There are no easy answers. There are no quick solutions. There's just a God who loves us, who stands beside us, and who asks us to take this journey with Him as we discover what it means to be in relationship with our Creator. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are with us. And God, while we may not understand and may never understand what's going on and how this is working out to Your purpose and for Your glory, God, may we trust in You. May we walk with You. May we find confidence in You. We are so grateful for Your goodness to us. And it's in Christ's name we pray these things.